let's dig into God's Word this morning. If you have your Bible with you, if you're at home and you have your paper Bible open, if you're here and you have your Bible app, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. Again, I'm Mike Moses. I'm lead pastor uh, at Lake Forest Church Huntersville. And dude, uh, we had an all-staff meeting two weeks ago. All the staff of our Lake Forest family of churches came over, and your staff of Lake Forest Church here in Denver toured us around the building as it's coming together. And oh my gosh, I had not seen it yet since they put stone and wood on the front. I am so jelly <laughs> at how beautiful this thing is shaping up to be, to be a place of extreme hospitality and welcome to people who are spiritually hungry and seeking here in your community. What a gift you all are giving to this town. And man, when you all have, uh, I think sometime in August is the schedule for sort of grand opening Sunday. And uh, my charge to you, um, if you'll take it, is that grand opening Sunday because of you inviting friends and family and going, oh man, I love my church. Just come celebrate with me. It needs to feel like on that, that grand opening Sunday, it needs to feel like royal bliss, chill fire, crafty burger on a Friday night times 10, okay? That is your charge should you choose to accept it. That is exactly how it needs to feel, and it'll feel that way if all of us invite. I have friends that I'll be inviting, by the way, and I'm going to try to take that Sunday off at Huntersville and sit in the back with a ball cap incognito and rejoice. Love this community that you all have put together and your peer discipling one another in the way of Jesus. Okay, so we're teaching through the whole story of God in the whole Bible in a whole year in the Lake Forest family of churches. And here on Memorial Day weekend, when Aaron, who's away, decided, how could he slot me in when the least amount of people would hear me so they wouldn't be offended and never come back? Uh, that's why I'm here today. Uh, here on Memorial Day weekend, we're on the downslope of this part of the story of God adopting Israel as his people. He's going to reveal his love to Israel and the fact that there is one God and God is good and loves everyone. He's going to reveal himself to Israel first and then his plan is through them, burst it out to the world. And we're on the downslope of the story of Israel as God's people. During the time of King David and Solomon that we just learned about, the nations and the pagan peoples began to sit up and take notice and respect and be interested even in Yahweh as one God who claims to be the one true God. This God who made a covenant of love and faithfulness with all who love him, the nations started coming to visit Israel and worship God, Yahweh, in the temple. That was like the years 1000 B.C. of the time of David and Solomon. Today, in 1 Kings 19, however, we're in the years of the 800s before Christ. This is history. In this, decade, uh, this century, the 800s B.C. for Israel, we're kind of like the year 2020 for us. Everything went off the rails during this century. Every king of Israel after King Solomon seems like they are competing for worst king ever. Uh, if you've tracked with your weekly Bible readings, and especially if you're tracking with our Bible journey material, you'll know that the predictions that Moses made all the way back in the book of Exodus are coming true. Moses predicted, hey, Israel, people of God, once you get to the promised land, if you decide you want to be like everybody else and have a human king instead of letting just God be your king, that's not going to go good for you. It's going to be a bad deal. They, the kings will ruin 
Israel's prosperity and Israel's walk with God because of power, lust, and greed the way that people in power do often when there's not accountability. And precisely that happened. What Moses said came to pass in this generation, 1 Kings 19. And today our main character is Elijah. You've heard of Elijah. We're going to learn about a thin slice of his life. He was a shining star of faithfulness to Yahweh, almost the only one, he thought, during the time of the worst king of Israel. We could have taught about him as a cautionary tale. This is King Ahab, not Ahab from Moby Dick. That's where he got his name from. <laughs> uh, this is King Ahab in ancient Israel. But instead, we're going to focus on Elijah, who's a shining star of faithfulness to Yahweh. King Ahab in this generation sank so low that in this period of Israel's life, he outlawed worshiping Yahweh, the one true God. He killed most of Yahweh's priests and prophets and instead promoted the pagan worship of multiple gods with a little g that were physical idols of all the surrounding people, including the Bible and archaeology informs us, including worship of the god Molech, which involved child sacrifice. This is what's happening in the 8th century BC. And in this context, Elijah is kind of like the Robin Hood of prophets, of the people of God. He pops up when needed from his hideout. Like they, the king's always trying to find him and roust him out. But he's, he's got his hideout, and every now and then he pops up and does something great, and he keeps the flame of the love of God burning among a small number of faithful people and prophets. And we're going to focus on a micro moment of Elijah's life that illustrates his whole life. 1 Kings 19, verse 8. Would you mind standing for the, to honor the reading of God's Word? If you're at home, go ahead and stand up, please, as you fully participate. If you're driving in your car, just raise a little finger on the steering wheel, okay? Uh, 1 Kings 19, verse 8. Strengthened by that food, Elijah traveled 40 days and nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. See, I didn't lie to you. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out, and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. Yet... I reserve 7,000 in Israel, 
all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. This ends the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Now, here's what I don't want to do this morning. This, this is the start of summer, Caesar, and I'm so happy about that. Um, I don't want to give you a philosophical talk today the start of summer. I don't want to give you fancy ideas. I don't even really want to major on theology to entertain your mind this morning. I'm going to point you to a behavior, a practice, a physical thing that is visible in Elijah's life several times that seems to have been at the root of his powerful spirituality. He was remarkable. And it's a behavior you can practice in your own life, as can I. It's this, during a stressful time in Elijah's life, just like other times, Elijah physically traveled to create physical, auditory, experiential silence and solitude apart from other people in in order to pay attention to God, to be fully attentive to the God Most High. Because as Henry Nouwen, the Catholic writer, said, without solitude... It is impossible to live the spiritual life. And today here, you may be a longtime Christian and follower of Jesus. You're like me. You got the gold star for Sunday school attendance when you were a kid. Or you may be somebody who has given up on church or never even been there, but you're hungry for God because you're hungry for spirituality to come. You know that a human being is, we have a spirit. And unless that spirit connects to the, the spirit of God, We're living a little bit less than a fully human life, and without solitude, it's impossible to live the spiritual life. Silence and solitude are part of the historic foundational practices of vital Christianity and Judaism. But in modern Western society, I could say in modern Lake Norman society, we've lost much of the wisdom of it. And these practices, when you say the practice of silence and solitude, sounds weird. To some people, it even sounds odd. Oh, man, are you getting off into Eastern religion? Bulletin. Christianity started in the East, by the way. Uh, It seems sort of radical to Protestant Christians today to talk about silence and solitude, especially Christians like Lake Forest. At least at Lake Forest, Huntersville, we like the volume turned up to 11. (laughs) So silence and solitude seems like the opposite. Um... We're like, aren't the practices of silence and solitude like some, something that weird monks do? And it's a Catholic thing? Yes and no. It's the foundation of Elijah's spiritual vitality. You see it several times in his recorded life, and it can be a foundation for your own relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now, we have many voices in our life compelling us against a life with any type of silence and solitude built into our rhythm. Uh, we have inner voices telling us, you got to get busy. You got to get about some stuff. You better be successful. You got to make some more money. Get a second or third side hustle. You better have people impressed with you. You better perform. In the words of the 90s song, keep on moving, don't stop. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's why I'm here on Memorial Day. I, um, uh, these inner voices pull us to find our security and our comfort outside of just being quiet sometimes with the living God. But we don't just have internal voices that 
prevent us from pursuing God in silence and solitude. We have external voices screaming at us, constant music, media, my face buried in a screen all day long that I can't put down. And so I would call the practice of silence and solitude regularly, I would call that radical in today's culture. They're radical spiritual practices from God's Word exemplified in the life of Elijah. And they shape our soul in a Jesus-looking direction. Dallas Willard calls these the most radical practices for Christians in Western culture. And Elijah's life is an example for us to follow. He was constantly, his life was a yo-yo. He would go to the desert in silence and solitude with God and then come out and burst back into public activity where people could be like, that man has been with God. He is a force of nature. And he would go back and forth, back and forth. Private silence and solitude with God to get filled up and then burst into his public life. And and so in today's passage, you noted, Elijah takes time out of his busy schedule as a professional. He was a professional in the standards of that day. Like many of you are a professional at what you do and your time is in high demand, both at work and at home. And here, in this moment of his life, he takes 40 days to travel to Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb is a famous place in the Bible. It's the place where Israel encountered God when they needed him most coming out of Egypt. Where It's a place where God gave the Ten Commandments, where Moses met God in the burning bush. Kind of a special place. And I wonder, let me ask you, think about your life. Do you have a special place? Maybe it's your boat, <laughs> where you sense God's more presence more clearly in a way you can't really communicate to others. Do you have a place? Place is a part of this. Well, that's where Elijah went. And it's where you and I are called to go periodically and privately if we want our spirituality to be a flame animating my life, my work, my relationships. Elijah, I'll put this on screen, is the only bright light of faith in Israel during this time. His practice of silence and solitude kept his flame burning, and it can do the same for your faith. He had just gone through, in the previous chapter, the biggest event of his life that was a huge success. But from the effort, he was a little burnt out, like some of you may feel today. You may feel like you're on on the back end of the greatest success ever in your life, or you may feel burnt out, or you may feel both at the same time. And he's like... I need a new direction now. And if there's any place I can meet God, it's that special place, Mount Horeb. And so he decides to invest a place with with where he will meet with God. And sometimes that's helpful for us. And so he leaves people, re-enters silence and solitude to be present with God. Let me give you a classic definition of what I'm talking about. Solitude is defined as being absent from other people or things to be attentive to God. You might say, I mean, it's really quiet. It's like solitude when I'm at my computer just working. No, no, no. It's away from people and things for the purpose of attending to the living God, whether it's a closet, a solitude place in my backyard, or regular time on the dock or the boat. Silence, they're related. They're they're sort of two sides of a one coin, is the practice of quieting every inner and outer voice to be attentive to God. It's a practice, I keep calling it, which means it's a discipline. That's another way to say it, except when you say discipline, people are like, man, I don't want discipline. That's not a good word. Uh, So it's a practice. 
But, but you understand this. Some of you are musicians, you're athletes, you have a hobby, and you have to practice certain disciplines to grow as an athlete or a musician. My latest golf uh, lesson about a month ago, the guy was like, Mike, you're getting your swing, the stuff I've been teaching you, you're getting it down pretty good. How much are you practicing? And I told him, he's like, that's not even close. You need to play half as much rounds and practice twice as much as you are now. And so that's what I'm working on. We understand the role and the benefit. And if our spiritual life is super important to us, building in certain practices that we see in scriptures will bear the same kind of fruit of grooving a habit where we get to a place we might not have dreamed was possible in our knowledge and reception of the love of God daily. Elijah goes to the desert for this purpose several times in his life, if you read the rest of the book of 1 Kings. Now, I want you to think about the image. He's going to the desert, and each time he does, he goes to the desert. So let's uh, think about the image of the desert, of going there to be with God. The desert is a powerful metaphor, and it has been in scriptures and then down to today. Uh, It's a powerful metaphor and actual practice. Think about Moses. Go to the desert where he met with God experience the burning bush. Think about Elijah we're talking about today. Think about John the Baptist. He chose to live, this was his main spiritual practice and habit of his whole life, and people came into the desert to see this man who was on fire with the love and knowledge of God pointing to Jesus. Think about Jesus himself. It goes without saying. He often would go to the desert in silence and solitude to be alone with his heavenly Father and the Apostle Paul as well. This is a picture of the Gobi Desert. My, I, I wonder if any of you have ever been to an actual real desert. I have once or twice. Uh, I actually mountain biked across the entire Gobi Desert in another life uh, from Mongolia into China. It's a very long story as to why I did that. Uh, each night we would stay in these little villages that basically look like Luke Skywalker's house on Tatooine. Super cool. One night we slept out under the stars in the middle of this desert. It was the quietest most peaceful, beautiful night of my life. The desert is a powerful metaphor and actual practice of Elijah, and it can be for you and me as well. Desert is a name for the place I go to meet with God. And and maybe what you learn from all of those spiritual giants in the Bible is I'm going to Name a place, the desert in my life. We think of desert as, oh, it's terrible. There's nothing to drink. It's horrible. Flip that metaphor when it comes to spirituality and walking with the living God through Jesus. Desert is a place, oh, that's where I go to meet with God. That's where it's quiet. And my goal is I need to set a place because I'm a physical being and we have to physically set ourselves apart But the goal is then to carry this place, this solitude, out into my public life, but in the interior of my heart as a state of being. That as I go out to meet with people and do my work, in my interior life, I'm still living out of the strength of the desert, the place I meet with God. And it takes regular time in the literal desert, in a spot that you name as such, in order to have the metaphorical desert in your life heart as you engage with the world. Now, the moral of this sermon is not so everyone should be a monk and go live in a monastery. 
This is going to be different for each of us based on temperament, based on calling. How much desert do you need of silence and solitude? And I'm talking about different than a morning devotional. I'm talking about actual silence and solitude. How much will you need so that as you engage the world, then when you move out (coughs) to engage the world, you move out in power of the Holy Spirit? So I'm going to walk around this concept for another moment in a different way that's been helpful to me, and I hope it's helpful to you. Uh, As you know, the Christian faith began to be suppressed in Russia a little bit over 100 years ago. But before that, Russian Christianity was actually world famous for something for centuries. It was the word pustinia. Can you say that with me? Pustinia. Can you you say it with me loud, Mike? Pustinia. At home, driving your little shiny car, pustinia. Let me put it on screen. Pustinia is the word for desert in Russian. Russian Christians used to designate part of their home as their pustinia. They'd be like, that closet? That's our desert in the way I'm defining desert today. Uh, And that most towns in ancient Russia had a cabin-like structure in the woods outside of town. How cool is this? Like your your church building is going to be on the the land of a former hunting lodge. Well, this was like a go-be-alone-with-Jesus lodge outside of every Russian village called a pustinia. And it's where you could go to the desert. Pustinia meant desert to meet with God, following the practice of Moses, Elijah, John the Baptist, Jesus, and Paul. And a pustinia room in your house or the cabin outside of town consisted of this, every single one of them, simply a bed, a table, a chair, a cross, and a Bible. And this is a picture of one, a traditional one in Russia. And the word has become one that is used quite frequently in those who uh, study uh, the history of Christian practices of knowing God better in our life. And I've come to use this word quite frequently for my own practice of silence and solitude. And at Lake Forest Church Huntersville, we have built a beautiful prayer garden. Feel free to come visit it sometime. And we built a prayer cottage in the middle of it that I refer to as our Lake Forest Church Pustinia. But that would weird people out, so you'll never hear me actually say it, except now I can to you all because you're my fellow sojourners in that. And, and maybe the word pustinia could be a, a, a part of your vocabulary. Hey, man, I need to find a pustinia in my house, a chair, a room, my backyard, somewhere you can go to be alone with God so you can come back and engage the world out of spiritual power. So Elijah goes into the literal desert. Mount Horeb is literally in the middle of the Sinai Desert. It's a desert place. Uh, verse 9 of 1 Kings 19 There Elijah went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? (laughs) I think that's funny that God asked (laughs) that. You ever try to spend time alone with God? And you either feel like God's like, Hey, what are you doing here? You have no idea what you're doing right now. Like, are, are you? Or more often, I'm asking that of myself. What am I doing here? I'm not, like, not gonna hear God's voice audibly, probably. And I keep getting distracted in my mind, like, what am I doing here? I think that's really interesting. And then, verse 10, he speaks the current situation of his life. To quiet yourself, you need to speak your life out to the Lord and just leave it with him for a moment before you're just quiet and silent before him. Verse 10, I've been very zealous for you, God. The Israelites have rejected you, and then now they're coming after me, and I'm the only one left. 
You ever feel like that in your faith? Like, I'm the only one in my office actually seeking God. I'm the only one on the sales force when we go on trips, not going to that place at night with everybody else. Uh, teenagers, you ever feel like, I'm the only one really trying to grow in my faith as a teenager instead of... So he just pours out his heart, his emotions to God, and that's where you start in silence and solitude. And, and God doesn't say, Elijah, that's dumb, although he does kind of at the end, because you remember at the end, the last verse, he goes, oh, by the way, God says, I got 7,000 people faithful to me left in Israel. You're not the only one. He gently corrects him. He doesn't, like, slap him down. He just says, let me tell you the, fa the facts. Uh, okay, God, guess what? Now, God doesn't, like, give him a whole bunch of verbiage here. He says, come outside that cave and just stand there. Verse 11, go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. M maybe, this is maybe the best biblical definition of silence and solitude. Stand in your backyard in the presence of the Lord. Sit down in your favorite chair. Nobody bothering you, no screen in front of your face with a phrase from Scripture, in the presence of the Lord. He's kind of saying, Elijah, the way I'm going to deal with your warped perspective and your burnt-out state and your success that you're a little bit high on at the same time, I'm going to meet you in silence. This is really the bottom line here. God comes to us in the sound of pure silence. And I want to show you something super cool about verse 12. So I'm going to say two things, but I'm really just going to say one. God comes to us in the sound of pure silence. In verse 12, God, Elijah goes outside, and, and you noticed in the Scripture, um, I won't put it on screen again, but it said a, a powerful wind came and shattered the rocks. God wasn't in the wind. And then an earthquake comes. I've been in two of those, and God wasn't in the earthquake. Fire comes. God's not in the fire. And then it said, verse 12, God came to Elijah in a gentle whisper. That is a, a really good try at a translation of something that's barely translatable in the ancient Hebrew. Um, the, this is almost impossible to translate, but scholars agree that the better translation is this. God came to Elijah in the sound of sheer silence in the original Hebrew. Okay. What does the sound of sheer silence sound like? Could you, like, make that sound for me or us and tell us right now? The sound... That, it's, this is... To, in the ancient Hebrew, it's basically an oxymoron on purpose by the author. You know what oxymorons are? My favorite oxymorons are pretty ugly, jumbo shrimp, and headbutt. <laughs> the sound of sheer silence? This is a trip. God speaks to him, comes to him in the sound of sheer silence is how I want me and my friends at Lake Forest to pursue God in silence and solitude as a practice and trust that God will come to us in some way. Somehow Elijah is able to hear something here. God transforms him in silence and solitude. And he bursts back out of the desert and strides back on, in as a 
powerful man in human history, formed by God into this leader in silence and solitude. So Elijah spatially goes to the desert to be with God, and he doesn't just give a prayer list. It's not just an arrow prayer. Oh, hey God! In the middle of stuff, he just attends to the living God, standing in silence, in the presence of God. Moving, adding this move to your own prayer life, to your own spiritual practice, can have profound implications for the settledness of your soul and the knowledge that when God says, be still and know that I am God, you just know God through Jesus Christ. Verse 13, God not only comes to us, but sometimes then he speaks to us in the sheer sound of silence. Verse 13, when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him. We don't do silence and solitude just to get guidance. Okay, tell me what to do next, God. Mostly God just came to him and transformed him. In this case, he also discerned the next steps in his life and in his leadership. And those are another story. And he bursts out of the desert and he goes and does that. And what's interesting, the God of Elijah is the true and living God. And Elijah's just a normal guy here. You notice he's complaining to God when he does talk to him. He still does it even after God's appeared to him. He repeats the same complaint. He's a normal guy. And God's okay with that. But this living God now is able to come to you and me. You're able to, in the Old Testament, God would put his spirit specially on special people for his purposes. But now, because of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who came to atone for our sins and blow away anything standing between you and God and reconnect you to a living relationship now and eternally with a holy and loving God. Because of Jesus, when we put our trust in him, all of us may have this life that Elijah did in that time. And we do not go to God's presence in silence out of fear and trembling or shame. But when we go in the name of Jesus, we are covered in his righteousness, given on our behalf. And he looks at you as lovingly, as approvingly, with a smile on his face every time as he does Jesus. Because Jesus has exchanged by faith your sin for his righteousness, and that is your identity before the living God. So go, Lake Forest, go. Go in silence and solitude. Let God love on you. And often, this is the final screen, and then I'll pray and we'll worship God. If you want to know how to do this, screenshot this, because I'm not going to have time to talk about it. Number one, be attentive to God. Choose a particular tiny phrase of Scripture, like, be still and know that I am God. Two, sit still, sit straight. Three, breathe slowly, deeply, naturally. And when you get distracted because you're a human being, you breathe in, you're focusing strict Scripture. Be still and know that I'm God. And you breathe out your, district, your distractions. Joel Embiid is the man. And you just put that over here. And then you breathe in, be still and know that I'm God. And you breathe out, wow, John Moran is awesome. You're like, oh, I'm attending to you, God. And you breathe in and breathe out. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for my friends here at Lake Forest Church this morning who love you enough 
to want to worship you every seven days with brothers and sisters in the faith or those who are coming to faith. We love you, God. And most of all today, we thank you for the example of Elijah, but mostly we thank you for Jesus who fills, when we come to you by faith, fills us with your Holy Spirit so that each of us can choose the wisdom of Scripture and the people of God through thousands of years, and we can set apart a desert place and a desert time in which we simply stand in your presence, God, and we let you be you, and we let you love on us. Please meet us in this way as we take halting steps of faith, solitude, and silence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.